Welcome to Water's Edge, those who are new. I am not the pastor. The pastor's over there. I am just a dude. Just a dude. I'll let you guys grab a seat. How are you guys doing? Great. Do you guys know that spring is coming? Yeah, I know some of you guys really need to hear this. My wife, I think, is the one that needs to hear this most out of anybody here. Spring is coming. Like, I know that we're supposed to have a snowstorm coming and stuff, but it's by faith, not by sight, right? Yeah? <laughs> Spring is coming. It's got to come soon because we've had winter for a long time. Um, I was spending a little time uh, kind of reviewing what Pastor Tuttle had been talking about for a while, and he's been kind of talking about some stuff that eventually leads up to when Jesus gets crucified, because um, he's talking about Jesus' life, and that's kind of where it goes. So anyway, um, <laughs> that's terrible. No, I was thinking about it because we've got Good Friday coming in a couple weeks, and so I was going to talk some about that. And uh, I, ran, I ran into this area where, um, I mean, you have the request of James and John, who are like, hey, Jesus, can I sit by your right and your left? And he's like, you don't really know what you're asking of me. Like, that's, that's not for me to give to you right now. You know, and then he goes and he heals this guy, this uh, blind Bartimaeus. And he's got this triumphal entry where he comes into the city. Um, and it's really cool. I'm just flying through this stuff. Um, then Jesus curses a fig tree, which is a crazy thought in itself, that Jesus cursed this fig tree and then it, it died. Anyways, he comes into the temple. And then he goes back out with his people after he'd been in the temple. And he spends some time with his father that night, and he comes back the next morning, and he had made a whip, and he comes in. And you guys know this passage where he comes in, and he, he throws over the tax collectors, you know, the, all that stuff, and the, the tables where they're buying and selling, and, and he makes this comment, and he says, um, this is Mark 12. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And, uh, just a bunch of stuff that was going on in the situation. First, it was crazy for me to just think again, just remember, you know, like, there's a righteous anger that he had. It wasn't like a reaction, like he walked in and, oh, I'm angry, I gotta throw everything over. You know, like, he actually came in, saw what was going on, went back and said, I need to talk to my, my father about this. Talked to his father, and he was so at a place where he was broken for these people that this is what they had settled for, that he came back in the very next day, and he still was reacting out of it. Anyway, I was thinking about this. My, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What, is that, what does that look like? I, I was thankful that Stansky this morning, he was talking about how many of you guys want to have bold prayers and want to see people's lives changed and stuff like that, and, and how many of us actually want to see the power of prayer? And then this week, I spent some time thinking about this, this thought, this, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I started thinking about times in my life when I'd been praying for things that some happened and some, some didn't happen. And Thursday, I was spending some time with God. And um, for those of you guys that don't know, I've been to a bunch of places around, uh, well, overseas, doing some mission stuff. And I was spending some time thinking about Hueso, one of my kids in the Dominican Republic who is a street kid, that I was down there for a month and I prayed and prayed and prayed over this kid. And I mean, I, I was just visually remembering laying on the street with him because there's a couple nights where 
I would uh, just sleep out there on the, on the sidewalk with him. I remember giving him my, my sweatshirt and him just laying on my chest. And I'd just be on the ground, couldn't sleep the entire night, praying over this kid. Knowing that within a week or two, I'd have to leave and go to another country. I didn't know whether or not those prayers were going to be answered, you know? And thinking about when I was in the Bering Sea for a year teaching, and it was a place of darkness. And these kids were abused, and they didn't know anything. A lot of them had physical abuse, sexual abuse, all kinds of abuse, and they didn't have hope. And I remember pouring out my heart for these kids and feeling like my, my heart and my, my light was so dim. And I was like, man, if I could have only given them more hope. And wondering and asking the question of like, man, where was the answer to those prayers? You know, and holding babies in Ukraine that didn't have names that were, you know, the paraplegics and the ones that emotionally impaired and physically impaired that the parents didn't want anymore and just dumped off at this place. And the shame that went with it over there and holding these kids knowing that they don't have names and just ripped my heart out thinking like I prayed for those kids knowing that some of them were going to die. And Africa, when I was down in South Africa holding babies that were AIDS babies that I knew were going to die and the people had already let go of. It's at those times where you sit there and you think to yourself like, is this God that I, I claim to know? Is he, really, is he really as good as he says he is? Does he really listen to my, my prayers? Is there really power behind the things that I say there is? And I was met with that question. It's not a comfortable question. It's not a safe question. It's not a question we like to often think about. And then I started thinking about in India, when I went to India with a few guys, we were in a place, uh, northern India, and there's just a lot of craziness going on. And there's a guy that was coming in to be a pastor over this church, and his Mother and father-in-law didn't like him because there's the caste system and he was on the untouchables and he had married up and it was socially not okay. And on top of all this stuff, he's going to be a pastor and, and rely on God? Oof, was that offensive to the parents? We were there and we found the joy of the fact that they were going to have their first child. And this is, this is a tender spot for me because my wife is pregnant with our first child. And to see how things were going on there, oh, man, she was in there, and she went to the doctor's office, like, oh, no, we got more time. Oh, we got more time. Oh, we got more time. And the thing is, they don't value life in that system because, you know what, if there's death, well, then there's reincarnation, and, well, hopefully you're something better next time, and so death break. And the doctors neglected her to the place where eventually they're like, you know what, we can't save the, the child or the mom, so you got to pick one or the other. The parents were so angry and so bitter. And this guy's supposed to like love his wife, try to figure out all this stuff. Before he even got to the hospital, they had already taken the baby away from him so he couldn't even grieve his own son that was being born. It's just a crazy, crazy situation. And being there, and my heart was torn. I was, I was praying for these guys, and I was praying for him to, you know, his, his ministry to be established. Come to find out, like three months later, like he couldn't handle the grief and had committed suicide. And my heart was just tore again. This is stuff that I was like, I was working through because it's not easy stuff. And you sit there and you ask, all right, God, if you're good, what, what is this all about? What is this all about? And I remember spending a lot of nights, sleepless nights, when I was in Haiti, 
over a lot of situations where my heart just grieved. My heart went out to the orphans that were out there, and they're just orphan after orphan after orphan. And then to know that some of the places that we were trying to help, they're turning around and selling those kids either for parts or for the child trafficking. And then we had to shut down the orphanages and still find a way to love the orphans and get them in a place of safety within their system. And your heart grieves and it cries out and it tears. And and part of you wants to find a way to callous it. Part of you wants to find a way to not have to think about it because it's, it's messy. And at, at the core, it makes you ask the question, is this God really good? And then God reminded me of the smile. Give me a sec. God reminded me of a smile on Hazel's face when he was on my chest when I played with him during the day that gave him hope. And he reminded me of when I was holding the Ukrainian babies. Ah, oh, the ones that were just laying in their own poop for weeks on end. They would change their diaper once a week. And the fact that they didn't have anybody to give them physical touch and being able to touch these kids that nobody had ever physically loved and shared with and just hold them and play with them. And those that were there that had all the helmets and everything else, all they wanted to do for hours was play catch with a ball. They couldn't catch, but it just lit them up. And it reminded me of the smiles on their faces and the laughter. He reminded me of the kids in India that while the pastor was going, that we were working with kids that were... Uh, in a mess of a situation. We took care of a lot of the kids at the church and some of them that weren't at the church because their parents had their, their kids working at the ages of three, four, five, six, hauling rock. And I remember as, as we would take the kids and we'd throw them up in the air, kind of like how Josh does with Micah, and we'd throw them and they would just giggle and laugh and go crazy. And the parents that weren't even loving their own children would watch and they'd just be devastated and they'd be in tears watching us love these kids. And I remember one after one after one after just another one. I remember when I was up in the Bering Sea going up on top of this island um, there's the middle of this, there's a mountain and I went up to the top of one night and it was like negative 30 degrees and like 70 mile an hour winds and God brought me up there and I don't know if this is appropriate, I apologize I kind of went on this before I started thinking about this he wanted me to strip down naked in front of him and then prophesy over the children of that, that island it was cold I didn't, I wasn't planning on going here. Um, I don't know if I told my wife that. There's a story for you. Um, And in that moment, I felt like the entire year of abuse that I had gone through, the entire year of just darkness that I was going through, 
that if for nothing else, that he planted me in that season and in that island for nothing else to declare those words of life over those children that the the future is not going to be what the past was. And he reminded me of the faithfulness as they brought me up to be the graduation speaker a few years later to see life in their eyes. And one of the kids, Kiana, she would run up to me and she had to give me like seven hugs in a row and then hold onto my leg and say, don't ever go again. And he said, thank you. God said, thank you. This is flooding my mind and my memory with, with all these faces and these smiles. He touched my heart. And he touched my heart in a deep, deep way because what he was sharing with me, kind of what Stansky was saying earlier today, that when Moses asked God, he said, show me your glory. God said, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. And I absolutely believe that his glory in our dimension, what we can see, feel, touch, taste, looks like goodness. And he was saying, you know what? I put my spirit on all of those people, the poor to the rich, every single one of them. I put my spirit within them. And you know what? When you came in their presence, it activated something inside of them that overwhelmed them enough that that's, that was me smiling through them. That was me laughing through them. Thank you for loving me. And I was like, oh, yes, please, right? It's going to be a house of prayer. Let's talk about Peter. Peter, uh, let me see. Uh, Matthew, those of you guys are looking, the last thing I was talking about, where Jesus doing that stuff, March, uh, Mark 12, uh, Matthew 14. Um, Jesus, Jesus is awesome. Um, I can't imagine what exactly Jesus had to have been going through. He had just lost his, his buddy, John the Baptist. Um, not too long after that, he's trying to find a remote place to spend some time with his father. His heart had to have been aching for his friend, for his cousin. This guy that he had not too long ago said that there's no man greater than this guy. And he sees him, he hears, you know, John the Baptist, he had his head cut off, and, and he wants to get alone, and yet there's a crowd of 5,000 men, and that's not counting women and children, that follow him. And uh, on his way, they're following him, and, you know, he's moved with compassion. So he feeds them. Actually asks the disciples to feed him. They're like, what? We can't do this. He's like, well, what do you guys have? And then he blesses it in abundance. He asks God to, and then he, he feeds everybody. <laughs> um, next thing he does is he tells his, his guys, hey, why don't you head in the boat? Head over. I'll be back in a second. And then he, he goes and hides. <laughs> he spends some time with God the Father. Finally gets there. I love the fact that he takes time for those 5,000, even though he's at his... Is low. He's hurting, right? He spent some time in the presence of the Father. Oh, and it's so good. The next thing you know is he's walking on the waves, right? And there's this huge storm, and Peter and all the other disciples are on the boat. And you guys have heard the story, yeah, a bajillion times. And you see what happens is, is they all shriek, and they're terrified, and they're like, oh, it's a ghost. 
Peter's like, hey, if that's actually you, ask me to come out. And, I, you know, I'll come out there with you. He's like, all right, it's me. Come on out. So he hops out of the boat and he starts walking. You guys are all familiar with this, right? He starts following. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. I'm sure you guys have heard a bajillion sermons on this. So I'm not going to take a ton of time. Um, and then Jesus says, hey, you have little faith. Like, why did you doubt, right? I, switching, switching gears, I'm going to have a boy today. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, we're having a boy, by the way. I, uh, I really look forward to teaching my, bi- my boy how to ride a bicycle. Yeah? How many of you guys learned how to ride a bicycle from your father? Wow, only a few of you. Okay, never mind. Take that back. This won't relate, but you guys can listen to my story, I guess. My dad taught me how to ride a bicycle. And it was kind of one of those things, and I think some of you guys have heard me give this analogy before, but you're like, put me on the bicycle, you know? And you go from like your, your training wheels business to this, this big thing. I had a, um, a banana seat, right? The green, like laid back, yeah. So I'm over here on my banana seat. My dad's over here, and he's like running next to me, and then he gives me a huge push, right? You guys have all been through this? And so here I am like, just feeling his glory, feeling the goodness, feeling everything. I'm like, ah, oh, riding a bike, yeah. You know, and you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. You're like, wait, I can't ride a bike. I don't know what I'm doing. Wait, what? I, wait, what am I doing? I gotta slow down. I don't know how to slow down. I don't, and before you think, your reactions, you just ditch it. You're like, I'm done, right? And then you sit there and you're like, all you know, cut up and everything else is going on. And you're like, oh, I can't ride a bike, right? For the longest time. <laughs> That's kind of how I looked at this whole Peter thing. And then it was, well, let me explain. Um, my dad, he never was like, oh, man, was that rough? Whew, my boy is never going to ride a bike. I'm going to go inside and work on something. <laughs> right? How terrible would that be? Like, oh, yeah, you fell on your first time, buddy. Oh, you're bleeding. Well, why don't you go get some kisses from mom? <laughs> my, my wife will be out there giving him kisses. Um, no. No, no, no. No, my dad looked at me. He's like, oh, man, look how far you came. You start way over there. You got all the way over here. Look at that. You were riding a bike, right? You were doing it. Oh, look at that. You got some battle wounds. It's okay. Get back up. Let's try this again, right? Let's try it. Yeah? I believe with all of my heart that Jesus, when he looked at Peter, he wasn't like, oh man, you have a little faith. What are, what are you doing? Like, why are you doubting? Are you kidding me? You're never going to walk on water again. Look at you. Try to walk by faith. Like, I wish we could be there to see his eyes. I wish we were there to hear the intonation in his voice. Do I think that Jesus wanted him to continue walking on water? Absolutely. Was he offended that Peter fell? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's like, oh, Peter, man, why did you doubt? Question, was he doubting God or himself? Uh, Here's a question for you. Why did you doubt, man? You already were doing it. You were walking, man. You were walking on water. Dude, you're the only other person other than on ice that's ever done that besides me. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's awesome, man. You were walking on water. You know, like, why did, you know? Oh, 
there had to have been some sort of compassion that was deep inside saying, dude, I love what you're doing. I love that you're taking hold of this thing. Thanks for asking me to draw you out here. Oh. I got notes somewhere in here. Whatever. Um, I, got a, I got a buddy. I actually was on Ange's uh, World Race. Some called uh, the World Race. Go to 11 countries, 11 months, do mission stuff. And I was following his blog before I actually went. And uh, he came back to the United States, and it was about two months after that he wrote a blog. And in the blog, one of the things he wrote was, yeah, I was in the shower this morning, and I uh, was patting myself on the back because I was finally praying bold prayers again. I was finally praying bold prayers again. And God said, why, all right, why are you patting yourself on the back? You're not done. He's like, when you pray a bold prayer, I'm going to give you a chance to respond boldly. Let that set in for a second. This morning, Stansky's asking, how many of you guys want a, a, a bold prayer? Like, how many of you guys want to see God work in bold ways? We had like three hands go up. Remember that? Just half a couple out. Yeah, okay. Um, no, it's a legitimate question. How many of you guys actually want to see some crazy stuff happen? How many of you guys want to see yourself get freed? How many of you guys want to see your neighbor get freed? The person sitting next to you get freed? How many of you guys want to see what we're talking about? Right? Like, I've got some friends that have raised the dead, literally. Um, I have seen food multiplied in front of my eyes. It wasn't my prayer, but um, I was there. I watched it. It was pretty sweet. Um, I don't know. I've seen people... I, I don't even know where to start. There's a lot of things that I've seen, right? And yet, if we're going to be honest, where was I this last week? This last week, I was at a place where I had realized that my heart had gotten back to a place of only praying safe prayers. If we're going to be honest, right? I've been at a place where I had burn, been burned by so many past things, right? So many of these memories that I talked about earlier where I didn't see an immediate answer to prayer that I thought was going to happen, right? When my heart was broken for these people where stuff happened, and I was like, Wow, I'm not going to get burned again. Like, I'm here today to tell you, I still believe that God is good. I still believe that when you ask him something, he's moved. I still believe that he's going to answer. I don't have an answer for the times where things don't seem to work out or what you ask for doesn't seem to look like it, right? I don't know. I've walked through that stuff but I know that he's been faithful and I know that he's good. And looking back, I see even the ones that I didn't see answered before, I saw him in it. And if I know that he's in it, I know that he's working things for good, right? Okay. Um, let me just throw a couple verses at you here. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine: The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 1 Peter three twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. There's another place in the Bible that says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give to you, right? 
There's another verse that talks about earthly fathers. You give your kids good gifts, right? Like, if your child wants something good, like, you know, some bread, do you give them a snake? No! Like, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more me in heaven who is good can give good gifts? Right? He says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask only for your own good. Right? And so often we're afraid to ask. Now, I really want a dog someday. I really hope that I'm living outside of town so I can let them run around. But in America, what we like to do is we have like these fancy yards and like the shot collar or whatever, you know, and you like, you know, the process where you like dig a little trench all the way around the outskirts and you can make like a squiggly line if you want a funny boundary or I don't know, whatever, right? And then if the dog runs past the boundary, what happens? It gets shocked, right? Only takes a few shocks before he realizes, oh, hey, if I go past this mark right here, I'm going to get shocked. Even if there's a, no, a dog that pees on the other side of it, I'm not going to mark that territory because that's shocking territory, and I don't, I don't like that, right? Yeah? The same has happened with our prayer life. Do you realize that? There have been times where we've been hurt where we haven't seen with our eyes him answer the way that we want him to answer. And we say, whoa, I'm not going to pray for that again. I've prayed for the dead before, and he didn't come up. It's probably a good thing. I don't know, but I tried it. And I think... When I say it's a good thing, I think my father is really pleased that I tried. Okay? Um, just like me riding a bike, right? I think there are times where he's like, oh, man, you're doing it. You're finding a way. You're getting there, right? The time when we spend in, the, in our, our church at the start where we, we break up and, and pray over each other, give it a shot. Try bo some bold prayers, some crazy things. Try to actually engage your heart with, with a God that has the power to do some things that you wish he can, right? Is it going to take some facing of fears? Absolutely. Does it mean that sometimes you're going to be praying for something where you feel like, you know what, I've prayed for that and prayed for that and prayed for that, and it didn't work last time, why pray for it again, right? Remember, there's a, there's a parable in the New Testament. If you guys aren't familiar with it, read the New Testament. It's in there. Um, where it's like, if somebody comes and knocks on your door in the middle of the night, and they keep knocking, what are they going to eventually do? Just because you're an annoyance, they're going to give you some food, right? They're going to answer your request, right? He uses that in regards to prayer. Not that you're annoying God, but he's like, if a human is going to eventually answer a request, right? How much more a father who's moved by his child, Right? How much a father is going to want to do something for his child? And it, it might just be that the next time you ask is the time where he's moved by compassion and he's overflow. How many of you guys know that Jesus did not heal every person that he came in contact with? He didn't. One of the cool things that I find in most of the places where it talks about him healing and him doing crazy things was he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Some of us in here, including myself, it's more of a compassion issue. It's more of an intimacy issue, if we're going to be honest. If we've got the courage to look at ourselves, it's, you know what? I need to spend more time actually knowing this God and actually receiving his love, right? This is not about discipline. This is not about what do I need to do, the X, Y, Z steps. It's not about what words do I need to say and what order do I need to say them. It's not about that. 
If you can receive his love, you can give his love. And if you receive his love and you say, you know what, God, I got this going on in my life. I got that and I got this history and everything else. Do you love me? If you've got the courage to ask that question and actually open your ears to hear what he says, it will rock your socks off. It will blow your mind and God will shift things inside of you. And soon what you're going to find is that there's stuff that moves his heart that's going to move your heart. And he's given you the authority on this earth that when your heart is moved and it's aligned with his, that things will change and the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. Guaranteed. Right? It says, uh, in Revelations, what is it? Uh, and they conquered by the word of the, their testimonies and the blood of the lamb. It's the word of your testimonies. Now, in America, when we hear the word testimony, it's how did I get to know Jesus? Uh, testimony really is how is your life together changing you, transforming you? Like, because it's from glory to glory, from goodness to goodness, that God is continually interceding in our lives and intersecting our lives with his goodness, right? And so it's those things of, you know, he's been faithful and he continues to be faithful. It's those things when you set your mind and your heart on them, those are the things that conquer those are the things that gain ground and bring freedom to people, even to yourself, right? Conquer by the word of your testimony, by the blood of the lamb. The other, um, oh, there's another one I can't remember. I was going to say. Um, let me look real quick at, it's a different sermon. Um, we're almost there. James 5. Look at, look at James 5. End of James 5. <clears throat> James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just a man, just a dude. And he prayed uh, fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. Are you kidding me? Three and a half years. He's like, hey, God, can you stop the rain? Boof. Three and a half years later, he's like, hey, God, it's kind of dry. Can you bring back the rain? Boof. Right? Just a man. Um, my brothers, well, it keeps going. Elijah was just a man. The dude had the power to make it rain after three and a half months, three and a half years of no rain. We have a greater connection than he did because the spirit is within us instead of on us.
Isn't that crazy? How many of you guys have something inside of you where you want to walk in that kind of authority and that kind of power? You want to see that crazy, right? I do. And years and years and years of my life, I've prayed for it. I've asked for it. And it seems like what I've got in return is obstacles, right? I take courage in the fact that I'm not alone. Pretty sure Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a lot of times where she was praying fervently and thought, you know what, if anybody should get favor, be this girl, right? It's probably what she was thinking. You know, like, I'm supposed to be the, the father of God. You know, like, that's crazy, right? And she ends up having birth kind of in a little bit of a dugout cave because Nobody wanted to house her, and then she had to stay away from her family for two years, and then eventually had to, you know, run for their lives with this two-year-old who's crying down to Egypt. Like, are you kidding me? That's not easy. Where's the favor in that, right? I'm sure there was at least one prayer, and there was like, God, can I get a warm breakfast? Can I, can I get a blanket? Like, anything, really? Like, this is, oh, man. I think Joseph, after God had given him those dreams, probably had a lot of days when he was sitting there in jail for, you know, after he got, you know, sold into slave trade and then got, you know, wrongly accused of a bunch of stuff. Well, he was probably sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? Like, God, I've been trying to be faithful. Like, when can a brother get a break? Like, really? And yet there was something that God was working deep inside of them and an intimacy that he was bringing out within them that eventually... We saw the faithfulness come. I encourage you guys, keep pushing. Keep asking. I don't know when he's going to respond, and I don't know how he's going to respond. But I do know that he will respond. I do know that he hears your heart. I do know that he, he desires to be moved by what moves you. Like even now, my son is not born, and I cannot wait for the day when my son is moved towards something of goodness. And I have a chance to do what his heart wants to do, but even far and above more than he could imagine. Where I want to put all of my resources into his desire. Yeah? How much more God the Father with you guys? Oh. Um. One more thing, and I've, I've shared this before, and then we can have the, the worship team come back up. Um, I have to come back to this. Napoleon, some of you guys have heard me talk about this before with Napoleon. Napoleon, he went and he conquered a bunch of stuff. You guys know the guy, little dude, little man syndrome, went and conquered a bunch of places over in France. He went and he conquered this island, right? And there was this, I don't remember the name of it, but it was this island, and there was just a ton of death that happened. Lost a lot of good men. And he went there, and they're all celebrating this thing, right? They're all like, yeah, we finally got it. Like, yeah. And this upstart young dude comes up in the middle of all these army generals and in front of Napoleon, and he says, I want you to give me this island. Napoleon looks at him, grabs a pen, and starts writing my deed, right? The other generals were so upset, so ridiculously upset, and they're like, Napoleon, are you kidding me? Do you know how many people died in the conquest of this island? And Napoleon's response 
was this guy honored me with the magnitude of his request. He honored me with the magnitude of his request. My prayer, my heart's desire, is that you would honor God the Father with the magnitude of your request. And that when he gives you an opportunity to respond boldly to your bold prayer, that you would take courage in the fact that he is good and that he'll bring it about. And that you'll wait on him. Come on up. Uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. Man, I want, I want to become intimate with you, more intimate, and I want my wife to be more intimate with you, and I want my child to be more intimate with you, and I want this congregation to be more intimate with you. And God, we can't do that unless you supernaturally touch us in a way that we can receive your love and receive your intimacy. God, I ask that you draw us into your rest, that you draw us into your joy, God, that this journey that we're on with you, yeah, that we would um, think of the times that we're on the bike with you, essentially, God, that, that we'd feel your glory, that we'd feel your presence, that we'd feel the exhilaration of trusting you in bold ways and not focus our lives on the times that we've stumbled and fell. God, I, I'm thankful that every time that we do fall, you do pick us up, you dust us off, God, I ask that for those that are on the bike that are wanting to take a ride with you, God, I ask that you would give them a push and a direction and that you would make them feel your, your splendor, feel your glory. For those that have fallen, God, I ask that you'd come alongside them and that you'd encourage them in deep, deep ways, and that you would pick them up and that you'd put them back on the bike. God, that you would nurture them and that you'd heal their wounds and say, ah, just try it again. You're so close. You're already doing it. Try it again. And God, for those that have put their bike back in their garage, God, those that have put their bike back in their garage because they're so tired of falling, God, I ask that you would give them the courage to take their bike out and try it on again. God, I ask that spring would be coming in the physical, but also in our hearts. God, I think there's a lot of us that could use some more joy, could use some more life, could, could use the newness of spring to do something deep inside of us, to produce a different season ahead of us. God, I ask that you'd show us your goodness and provide in us a heart that is thankful for all that you do and all that you are. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.